Yeah, that's great singing. Thanks, guys. And that is what we're talking about here, right? While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by Christ. Well, it's great to see you. We're really glad that you're here this morning. My name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. Hey, we have, uh, I, I know, I understand that there was like a whole lot of information that, were coming, that was coming down to you from announcements, and there's a whole lot of really cool stuff that we are wanting to uh, let you know about this Christmas season. It's a time to be generous, and it's a time when we can show the love of Jesus in so many clear ways as much as we can. I wanted to let you know about one more thing, that, that uh, one more way that you can be a part of what God is doing, and we want to help you to be generous with those around you. Um, if you've been at Blue Water since last year, you may remember this. This has become sort of a tradition for us. Uh, uh, every year, there's a family that comes uh, to my office and sits down and says, we have a little bit of money that we want to um, uh, give and support. Uh, just use this in any way that needs to happen in the church. And I wish I came up with this idea. I can't claim it as my own. Pastor Doug years and years ago came up with this idea. He said, you know what, what can we do to take this and to multiply it? So the idea that he came up with was this, that if you know someone in your circles that could use, um, uh, uh, that can benefit from a gift this Christmas, a uh, financial gift, here's what we're gonna say. If you come up with $100 for that person and you come and talk to me, I will match that $100 with $100 from this family and with $100 from the church, so that you can turn $100 into $300 really fast. And uh, you can give that to someone who is, who, who is in your circles who needs it this year, and uh, you can tell them that Jesus loves them, and that Blue Water loves them, and you love them too, and um, we'll, we have a limited amount of those, so if you want to be part of that, then please come see me after the service. Uh, again, you come up with $100, and I will give you $200 as a way to, uh, for you to be a blessing in your circles with someone who needs that. I just finished a pretty awesome biography of a guy named Alfred the Great. Now, okay, I need, I need to get, gauge my audience here. How many of you like reading biographies? Okay, there's like three of us. Okay, that's great. Um, how many of you have heard of Alfred the Great before? Okay, there's a couple of us. How many of you know, like, can place him in history? All right, well, I, I knew who, I had heard the name before, but I couldn't place him in history either. Here's who Alfred was. Alfred was the king of a country called Wessex, a kingdom called Wessex, which was one of the, like, what was it, like four or five or six Anglo-Saxon kingdoms in Great Britain. This is uh, between eight and 900 AD. And uh, uh, he's the only king of, uh, that's in, you know, in the, the British Isles who ever got the title of the Great, right? Alfred the Great. No one else has ever had that title before. And uh, I guess you might know about him from the really, really uh, dumb, lame Netflix show about his life where it seems like they tried really hard to actually get as many things wrong as they possibly could. But... Um, he was uh, the, the, king, the king of this kingdom called Wessex, and he spent his life fighting against Vikings. Vikings were from Scandinavia, and they sailed across the North Sea, and they decided that, you know what, uh, this is rich, 
pickings over here, an easy picking. So they would raid monasteries and churches and villages and they would basically take everything of value that they could, they would load it back in their boats and they would head back to Scandinavia. Uh, after a number of years of this though, they decided, you know what, this like sailing back and forth across the sea is kind of lame, so they actually started um, like transplanting and actually living in Britain. And actually what happened was they conquered every one of those kingdoms in Great Britain except Wessex. And Alfred was the king of Wessex. And part of the problem was, or one of the, it's not a problem, one of the things that made things complicated was that uh, these Vikings were pagans, they worshipped the, the Norse gods, and when they would win a battle, they would just butcher everybody that was left over, everybody that they could catch, or they would take them into slavery, as many as slaves as they wanted. Uh, but when Alfred would win a battle, he was a Christian, and he was a, a devoted Christian. He wanted to live for the Lord, and he couldn't do that. He couldn't butcher people that had surrendered. So what he did was he made these Vikings um, to make promises. They would make, he would force them to make promises, promises that you're going to leave the kingdom, promises you're never going to come back and raid here again. And it was so interesting because time after time after time, he would make these guys make promises. They would leave camp and immediately turn around and guess what? What do you think? They would break those promises. <laughs> they would turn around and immediately they would break those promises. Have you ever had someone make you a promise? Maybe a big promise, maybe a small promise? What was that promise? Was it, um, yeah, I'll, I'll cut the grass this afternoon. Was it, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely... Uh, I'll, I'll redo the basement this winter. Don't, don't worry, I'll redo the basement this winter. Was it, um, yeah, I will have and hold you for better and worse, for richer and poor. Who has made you promises? I want you to locate that in your mind. And then the second thing I want you to locate in your mind is to answer this question. That those people that made those promises, did they keep them? Because... The value is not in someone who makes promises. A lot of people make promises. The value is in those who do what? Who keep their promises. This Advent season, we're going to be talking about the question of whether God is a promise keeper. Is God a promise keeper? Does God make promises? And is he able to keep promises? those promises. Because sometimes we make promises and, and we, we have a good heart in making those promises, but we're not actually taking into account our ability or our capability to actually bring those things to pass. I had a guy, this is a number of years ago now, came into my office, sat down across from me in my office, and he, he said he was uh, going to give the church a, a donation of $1 million dollars. And they keep me like pretty separate from the finances around here, and that's good, that's the way I want it. But I've never seen a $1 million donation come through before. Maybe let me explain it like this. Um, I'm gonna be as sort of general about this as I can, and maybe you can read between the lines, maybe you don't have to though. Um, because of some events in our family, I decided that I wasn't going to have a car that I cared about getting wrecked until my children were all out of the house. 
am I general and vague enough with that? Do you understand what I'm saying? So um, I have, a, I drive around a, uh, what is it? I think it's a, a 2003 um, Accord. And it's got, I think, 350,000 miles, not kilometers on it. And uh, I, I, I kind of like the car, but I also won't necessarily be all that sad if it doesn't come home one night. But um, uh, I've got this great, uh, in, in the car, in the heating and cooling system, you know how a bunch of cars, maybe your car is like this, maybe not, I'm not sure, but you can dial in from hot to cold how, how warm or how cool you want the air coming out at you. You, you. Right? Have you seen cars like this? Well, my car doesn't have that. My car has, it's the kind where you set the temperature and the, the climate system is supposed to get it to that temperature and then keep it there. Well, it's been years and years since it decided that it wanted to put cool air out at all. And every, probably every third time you get into that car, you sit down and just out of the blue, it decides that either the driver's side or the passenger side is going to be just blasted with the hottest air that it can possibly shoot out. Which in the winter isn't all that bad, but in the summer when it's already hot outside, it's really not that much fun. So we're driving with like the windows down and the, the, it's got a little sunroof and the sunroof open just dripping with sweat because it's just blasting hot air. And if I said to Val, hey Val, I have this really great idea. I'm going to fix the, the climate system in that car. Don't you worry, I'm going to fix that thing. And I pop the hood and I look in there and I go, I know where to check the oil. I know where the washing, the, the windshield fluid goes. I know not to put diesel in it, and you now know all that I know about that car. <laughs> so I might have a really great heart in trying to fix that so Val doesn't get blasted with hot air in the summer, but I have no capability to actually bring that about. In this Advent season, we're going to be, be talking about, is God a promise-keeping God? Does he have the capability to keep the promises that he made? Did you know that the Bible is actually full of promises? The Bible's full of promises, especially in the Old Testament. And there is, get this, there is 400, more than 400 direct, specific predictions, promises about Jesus in the Old Testament. Did you know that? There are some famous pastors today that will say we need to Christians need to uh, unhitch from the Old Testament like don't don't do that don't listen to those people that say that right don't unhitch from the Old Testament a part of the importance of the Old Testament is that um, we can see these promises about Jesus and and whether God was a promise keeping God we're going to just dig into a couple of those today um, and again, we could spend a long time talking about this because there is more than 400 of them. But the first promise we're going to talk about is a promise that God made to a guy named Abraham. Now, who is Abraham? Abraham is known as the father of the Jewish nation, the father of Israel. And he lived about 2,000 years before Jesus. Now, we have... We live now 2,000 years from Jesus too. And it seems like that's a long time, right? We'll go that distance in the other direction and this is how long ago God made these promises to Abraham. We're gonna throw up the, this verse on the screen for you in Genesis 22, verse 18. God said to Abraham, in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. What God is saying here to Abraham is, is, listen, the Messiah is going to come from your family. 
He's going to come specifically from, from your generations, from your descendants, and he is going to be a blessing not just to your descendants. He's going to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Well, how could that happen? Well, we're going to see that. Another huge promise that God made about future rescue and, and um, the connections to the Messiah he made to David. So Abraham was 2,000 years ago. We're going to fast forward a little bit. David lived about 1,000 years ago, and we'll throw this on the screen for you. 2 Samuel 7, verse 16 says this, says to David, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. What God was saying to David was that the Messiah was not going to only be a descendant of Abraham. He was also more specifically going to be a descendant of David. And he would sit on David's throne and would reign on David's throne forever. Well, how is that going to happen? We can get a little closer. And it's interesting because the Old Testament is written. The last book in the Old Testament is called Malachi. And after Malachi was written, there is what theologians call the 400 years of silence. Malachi's written, and then there's 400 years before the events surrounding the birth of Jesus start to happen. Now, in that 400 years, it's not that God wasn't at work. It's just that no scripture was being written, but, but God was at work, and kingdoms rise and kingdoms fell, and empires came and empires went, and different nations ruled over the nation of Israel, and there were so many people, like for 400 years, people were wondering, why are we being ruled by someone else when God promised that there was someone who was going to come who, who, from Abraham and from David was going to sit on David's throne? And they were wondering, is God a promise-keeping God? 400 years of generations of wondering and waiting and yearning And I think that waiting stinks. <laughs> I hate waiting. I don't, I don't know, maybe it's because we have technology that makes me want everything right now. Maybe it's the way that God designed me, I'm not sure. But like, whether I'm waiting for the kettle to boil or whether I'm waiting for God's promises to come true, man, I hate waiting. Waiting is so hard. Waiting can be so hard. And it's this context of waiting, and man, this stinks, that we bring to our pastor this morning in Luke chapter one. If you have your copy of God's word, which I hope you do, I'm gonna invite you to open it up to Luke chapter one. Um, if you have a, a mobile phone, you can go to bluewaterbaptist.ca, and on that front page there, you can tap a button that says sermon notes, and all the scriptures that you need are gonna be right there. Luke chapter one, we're gonna start reading in verse 26. And as I read this, what, what I want echoing around in the back of your brain is this, this idea of the waiting and the longing and the yearning and the question, is God a promise-keeping God? Will he come through with his promise? Luke chapter one, we're gonna start reading in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying 
and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. What do you mean the Lord is with me? What do you mean I'm a favored one? What are you talking about? Verse 30, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called son of the most high. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. Well, wait a second. I thought we just read about that. Interesting. Verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Put yourself in Mary's place for a second. Not just that she's just been told that though she is a virgin, she's going to be having a son, but also the weight of more than 400 years of generations of her family asking the question, will God come through on his promise? And now the answer is yes. How exciting would that be? And, and look how look at the, the, the crazy things, the wild things that, that the angel says about her son, that he's going to be the son of the Most High, the Holy Son of God that he would be on, sit on the throne of his father David to reign forever. All these promises that we talked about, they're coming true in the Messiah. And we could spend way more time fleshing this out. Again, there's 400 more than promises about the Messiah in the Old Testament. And what we learn is not only, that, not only is God a promise-keeping God, but also he keeps his promises at just the right time. Just the right time. Is it hard to wait? Yeah, man, it really is. But God comes through with his promises at just the right time. And that's not only true then, that's also true now. Because some of us find ourselves in a position where we're in this mode of waiting. Some of us find ourselves in this position where we're just hanging on for God to come through. And waiting is just as hard now as it was then. And it's hard to hang on to hope sometimes. It's hard to hang on to the idea that Jesus is a a promise-keeping person, that God is a promise-keeping God. There's a lot of preachers that'll peddle the idea that God has made a promise, and if you just believe in him, that God will make you happy and healthy and wealthy and, and successful. And all you have to do is just have enough faith. That's, that's not what God said. What God actually promised was that if you follow him, um, he said, in this world you will have, what was it? Oh, trouble. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart because he's overcome the world. He also promised he would never leave us or forsake us. And he promised that one day he's going to come back, Jesus is going to step back into this world, 
And when he does in that day, he's going to dry every tear, right every wrong, and heal every hurt. He might between now and then, but that's not the promise. The promise is in that day he will, and and we're hanging on to like, Jesus, are you ever going to come back? Those are the same feelings that they had before Jesus came in his first advent. And the only thing that we can answer is he will keep his promise at just the right time. The Apostle Peter understood this. We're going to throw this up on the screen for you. In 2 Peter chapter 3, this is what he wrote. He said, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. In other words, not only is God's timing perfect, but the waiting is actually a gift. And as much as it grates against me the wrong way, the waiting is a gift. And God's timing is perfect. And he's not slow to fulfill his promises to us. In Galatians chapter four, the apostle Paul writes, we'll throw this up as well. In Galatians four, it says, but when the fullness of time had come, in other words, at just the right time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. At just the right time, Jesus was born into the world. Maybe you feel like you're being forgotten by him. Maybe you feel like you're stuck in the waiting stage. You're stuck in the yearning. You're stuck in the longing. That's how people felt before as well. You're not alone in that. But by faith, we can believe that God is a promise-keeping God and at just the right time, he will deliver on his promises. We started this morning by talking about um, Alfred the Great. And remember, they were being attacked by Vikings. And every time the Vikings would win, they would butcher everybody. And every time Alfred would win a battle, he, he would make them make promises and then let them go, and they would immediately break those promises. And uh, so I'm reading this biography of him, and, and I'm, I'm getting, like, frustrated like physically frustrated as I'm reading because I'm like you're doing it again (laughs) I'm like you're you're letting them go with these promises again you know they're gonna like I'm like a thousand years later and I can tell you they're gonna break those promises how can you not know this yet and then it started to dawn on me wait a second Alfred was a Christian Alfred was not putting his faith or his hope or his trust in these pagan Vikings to start keeping their word all of a sudden, no. What Alfred was trusting in was that if, if, if Alfred did the right thing, if Alfred obeyed the Lord, if Alfred did the, uh, obeyed as a, a Christian ruler should, if he did that, then the Lord would come through exactly the way the Lord promised he would. And it might or it might not end in the, the uh, ending of his kingdom, but Alfred was going to Trust the Lord and not put his trust in some pagan Vikings. And you know what happened? Because he believed the Lord, he ended up winning his kingdom back after hiding, having, having to hide in, the, in a swamp with just his relatives and a few bodyguards so that he wasn't, didn't get caught. He won his kingdom back. 
And then he started fighting and pushing back the borders more. And, and he not only won time after time after time over the Vikings, he not only uh, took the, the various kingdoms back, but those Vikings started to believe in Jesus. And they started to take part in the only tradition that pagans all over the world take part in. You know what the word pagan means? It just means someone that doesn't believe in God or that believes in different gods. There's only one thing that unites pagans across the the world, and that is that eventually they start believing in Jesus. And that's what those Vikings started doing. God is not slow in keeping his promises. God is a promise-keeping God. We are not, by nature, promise keepers. Sooner or later, we always break our promises. There's only one person that ever lived who was perfect in keeping all of his promises, and that's Jesus. And though Jesus lived the perfect life without sin, he died a promise breaker's death so that we could believe in him and by believing in him, have the life, eternal life, that he earned with his perfect life. And so, if you look at the screen behind me, it looks at at first blush like a cool, uh, snowy winter lantern, just a perfect Christmas picture, but once you start looking a little closer into the lantern, you see all of a sudden that there's a cross. And there's Jesus. And we're reminded that Jesus is a promise keeper. He is a promise keeper. That God is a promise keeping God. And when we believe in Jesus, what we find is that God will look at us and not see our promise breakingness. He will see, when he looks at us, Jesus' promise keepingness. It's a free gift that he offers to us. And really the question before us this morning is as simple as, will you receive that free gift? God is a promise-keeping God. He is a promise-keeping God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that you are a promise-keeping God, that you make promises that are not outside of your ability to keep them. And although we would maybe look back and wonder at how the Messiah would sit on David's throne forever, oh, then we see that Jesus rose again from the dead and he conquered Satan's sin and death and he sits on David's throne forever, ruling and reigning. He's doing that right now in heaven and one day he's gonna do that on the earth. And Lord, we hold out hope for that, believing and knowing that you are a promise-keeping God. Lord, I pray that you would help us this week to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. It's to him alone that we give all glory, both now and forever. Amen, amen. Thanks for coming today, friends. You're loved.